I'm living out of suitcase. <laughs> What's up, citizens? I am your V podcaster host, Jay Starks, and welcome to another episode of the Bingo Book Podcast. Ah, yeah. And we are on episode number 46. And wow, this is a very, very, very special episode today, y'all. I got to tell you, we are having the finale for our summer 2023 anime season. We made it. <laughs> we made it. We got through the season. And man, I got to tell you, this is a really, really good anime this season. So I hope to give y'all some really, really good insight of some recommendations uh, for y'all for this season. But we have to talk about our summer 2023 anime discussions for our A-side slate. But before we do that, I hope that y'all are having a great weekend so far. You know, you close it out. You got all that energy out of your system and you're ready to go back to work. <laughs> you're like, Jay, like, don't remind me. I did not need to hear that. Like, why did you do this? I, I know. I understand. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had to snap you back into reality. But but you know what? This podcast will try to extend your weekend just a little bit, right? <laughs> okay. Well, in our summer 2023 anime discussions, what we'll be discussing today is what are your favorite types of sushi? Hmm. Now, believe it or not, there are several different types and some which you might not be as familiar with, but we will talk about that at very great length later in today's show. Uh, and we also have characters arriving with intros. Now, Jay, what, is, what does that mean? I'll tell you. <laughs> You've seen this before. I promise you have. When characters, they come in and they're popping off with their name, maybe a special attack and more. Oh, yeah. The spotlight is on them. We got to talk about those intros. But hey, of course, do not forget after our first break, we will return with some more anime topics to cover in our B-side slate. And of course, you lucky viewers that are watching the live stream right now on our Twitch, uh, YouTube, Facebook, and all those pages, uh, we will be also talking about our anime recommendations for the season. And we'll be looking into the future for fall 2023 anime and see what we'll probably be covering for next season. So, hey, as you're watching or listening, kick back, grab a snack and enjoy the show. And so I'll go ahead and we will start off with Let me make myself a little bit bigger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with our first anime for discussion, and that is The Dreaming Boy is a Realist, episode 12, titled Because You Are Where I Belong. Oh, oh, that's so sweet, isn't it? This is, a, this is such a sweet title. And I mean, for what it's worth, this was a pretty... Uh, sweet episode as well. So uh, in this episode of The Dreaming Boy is a Realist, Aika invites Wataru to her house to spend time with herself, Kay, and her little sister for the very first time. 
Now, after formally introducing himself, Wataru instantly becomes someone that Aika's little sister is comfortable around. So little Aidy is like, hey, like, I think I like him. He seems pretty cool. And so she instantly jumps on him to ask him for a piggyback ride and much more. <laughs> Which brings me to the topic of little kids were where you out. More like where your butt your butt down. Like it's just it's it's bad. <laughs> it's really bad. But it's all in good fun, of course. Now, if you've had time to spend with kids, I would say ranging from two years old to maybe six years old, then you know that their energy is unparalleled. I mean, it's it's a lot. It's so much. <laughs> and so, you know, it made me think about time that I spent with my nephew about a month ago. And I tell you, we played peekaboo for at least 40 minutes straight. <laughs> I mean, I was gassed, just peekaboo, peekaboo. And just, I mean, here's the thing. You got to put a little bit of sauce on the games and mix it up. Like, it wasn't like I was doing the same type of peekaboo for the whole 40 minutes. Like, no, I had to switch it up and try to make it as entertaining as possible for my nephew. And it's interesting because for a two-year-old, you're like, okay, how can this be so much fun for him, right? But another part of it is like, I had to, under, you know, I understand that this is great for his development, but at the same time, I'm like, man, like, how are you not tired, little man? Like, <laughs> like we've been doing this for almost an hour now. Like, you're not, you're not ready to just give up and go play with your toys and go do, do something else. But no, <laughs> my nephew says it's it's you, Jay. It's it's our time. Play, <laughs> uh, go harder, please. But uh, but yeah, you know, I, I honestly get so into it whenever we. Um, spend time together and it's just a lot of fun you know even though I'm burnt out once it's all over with I'm legit having a lot of fun with these games at the time and uh, it's just a lot of fun you know I, I really do enjoy uh, playing with my my young relatives now the flip side of it is once the children start to get around the ages of I'd say seven years to 11 years old then you can play games like hide and seek where you can, you know, kind of find your resting spots in between. So you don't got to worry about burning as much energy as you did before. And shoot, I mean, really, by the time they turn 11, 12, they probably don't want to deal with you anyways, right? <laughs> you're not you're not cool anymore. But, uh, but okay, we move. We move to our next topic of discussion. And that is... Reign of the Seven Spellblades, episode 12, titled Possibility. Oh, the possibilities. <laughs> um, now, in this episode of Reign of the Seven Spellblades, after Pete goes missing and is believed to be imprisoned by the powerful upperclassman Ophelia Salvadori. Now, if anyone's seen uh, Miss Salvadori, she's you know, pretty hot stuff, you know, she's a cute young lady and, uh, but she's very powerful. You know, she's in this labyrinth that a lot of upperclassmen tend to hang out at and that's how they get stronger. They fight different creatures, uh, other students. I mean, it's just pretty much a, a free for all down there. If you ask me, 
Well, uh, they there are some members of the Rose Swords crew that decide to go into the labyrinth in efforts to rescue Pete, who is being held captive by Ophelia Salvadori. And now, however, once their enemy, Vera Milligan, steps in and expresses like, hey, y'all are going to get yourselves killed trying to go after Ophelia. Like, I understand y'all are, you know, very upset and y'all worried about the health of Pete and if he's still alive. But if y'all want to improve your chances of trying to get him back, let me help you out. You know, I'll be on your side Let's just work out a deal that we'll negotiate. And if y'all are okay with accepting my terms, I'll train y'all on the job to be able to have a much better chance of saving Pete from certain death. And so, of course, the crew, after deliberating with each other, they say, yeah, okay, like, you know, we'll we'll do this. We'll we'll work alongside of you, Miss Milligan. And it brings me to. Um, the benefits of on-the-job training, because in this episode, we got to see uh, Vera pretty much train uh, some members some members of the Rose Swords crew uh, in trying to pretty much do combat against some of Ophelia's monsters that she created. And man, I mean, I don't, it's not too often that you get to really hear the benefits of on-the-job training, but I got to tell you, there's a lot of them out there. So uh, firstly, um, real experience comes from uh, on-the-job training, you know, for the job that you're being a part of. And so I feel like most people learn better this way because it's like, okay, I'm actually doing something that's pertaining to my job and I'm not just reading something that might not even be related to what I'm doing. Right. So that real uh, experience on the job is very helpful. Uh, then another benefit for on the job training would be it promotes teamwork. So, I know as corny or cheesy as it may sound, uh, it's actually really true. You know, when you think about uh, maybe there is uh, a supervisor that's maybe more so on a lower level of things or another employee that's your senior, but they've been working at the company for a substantial amount of years of time uh, and you work alongside of them to get training for the job, you know, you start to build a rapport with, you know, that person or sometimes a collective of people. And that makes you feel a little bit more attached to the job. And like, you're a part of, I would say like a union. And that's a good feeling, you know, when you know that other people at the job like you and they treat you like you're someone that's a part of the team. So, you know, always a good thing. Uh, it also promotes, uh, uh, increased productivity. So increased productivity. What does that mean? I mean, if I mean, it's kind of common sense. If you are doing something that's on the job, then that means you're you. If you've learned it the right way, you're probably going to continue doing it the right way, if not better, as you move forward coming out of your on the job training status. And so you're going to do much better. You're going to perform well and you're pretty much be able to take off you know and that's always a good thing when you have great stripes a part of your resume for a company right so yeah you you do more productive stuff uh next we have tailored to the business and new employee and so i i feel like this is a benefit that goes for the company because if they can provide on-the-job training that is 
you know, specific to the job that you're doing. And for not only that, but for you as the employee that took that job on, you're pretty much getting a straight direct path on what's expected from you by that company, right? And that makes things a lot more straightforward, linear, and easy to do, easy to handle. Uh, I think the biggest thing that a lot of us likes about on-the-job training, and if I don't say so myself, is you get paid. <laughs> I mean, look at that. Who does every time you hear the jingle of, oh, yeah, they, they offer on-the-job training and it's paid or training in itself and it's a paid thing, everybody's happy because you automatically feel like, okay, this is going to be a pretty chill, relaxed time and I'm able to collect a check at the end of the day. I mean, who doesn't want to do that, right? <laughs> I mean, I, the sad thing is I know some people where they cycle new jobs just for the training status. And once the training is over, they out. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a decent come up, but man, I don't know if I got the time to put in for new jobs all the time. And then, you know, of course your job history, how that looks, not, not, not something I do. I would co-sign at all, but it's something that people definitely do. Uh, and then lastly, I will say about a benefit for on-the-job training would be faster learning. Uh, I mean, look, if you're looking for a way to accelerate your growth within a company, on-the-job training, it should be something that helps you get there because it's going to promote you doing the actual work that's expected of you. And, you know, you, you learn fast. I mean, I, most jobs that I've had where I've, you know, had OJT, um, it's been really, really fast that I picked up on everything and didn't take me very much time uh, to, you know, want something else to kind of challenge me there. So, yeah, that is your benefits of on the job training. Hey, if there is any other benefits that y'all can think of, feel free to put that in the chat below and, um, you know, send your comments. I, I want to read them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we move on to our next anime for discussion, and that is Undead Murder Farce, episode 12, titled Where the River's Flow Changes. Now, in this episode of Undead Murder Farce, Rindo and Suguru or Sagaru, arrive at the werewolf's village of Wolfenhill in efforts to find Shizuku and solve the mystery case that's happening amongst the villagers. Now, prior to arriving in the village, they were saved by Victor, who is a member of the banquet from the monster-hating crew consisting of Kyle Chaintail and Alice Rapidshot. And I mean, if you look at Alice Rappershot, if any of y'all get a chance to go do your Googles or watch the episode, uh, she means business. <laughs> like Rappershot, she's not playing with you. I'm, I'm trying to tell you. But uh, so Victor, who re really reminds me of Frankenstein, you know, for those of y'all who are watching uh, the live right now, you can kind of see his face looks like it's been kind of torn apart and reconfigured. That's the concept that I see of him. Now, I don't see any bolts on his neck or anything but I, I do feel like a lot of that influence came from frankenstein um based on you know in, in this anime but anyways going forward with this episode as compensation for saving their lives victor wanted 
them to give him the black synthetic diamond to which Rindo was willing to hand over as a truce. And so, I mean, me watching this episode, I was actually surprised. I was shocked that that was his request and Rindo was happy to oblige and say, yeah, like, we'll give you the diamond. You know, you saved our lives. You know what? We can work out a deal. And so, yeah, working with your enemy. I mean, how many of you out there have done that before? Um, hey, have I worked with an enemy before? I mean, I guess you could say that, yeah, somebody I may have strongly disliked or disliked, but even then, like, I don't really get in my feelings with a lot of stuff, even if it's work-related. Because if you don't know me, in, like, personally, if we're not friends, if we didn't spend significant time together, if something happened that was, like, on some work stuff, uh, or, you know, just something that I wouldn't consider to be uh, a constant or I have that relationship with you where I expect loyalty and trust, then it's kind of watered under the bridge. I don't really hold anything against other people and I just keep it moving, you know? Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I guess I would say yes to the degree I've worked with an enemy before, but for the majority, I don't know if I would necessarily, you know, call them the enemy, quote unquote. But uh, this is something that you see very often, uh, mostly I would say in sports. I think that's probably like the best example I can use for this. Uh, because there's often times where players might not like each other, but sometime later, maybe through free agency or, you know, trading, you know, from other teams or something, they become teammates. Now, the question becomes like, why? Like, why are, um, you know, people in this position willing to work with each other, even though they don't like each other? Right. And I would say that is because they have one goal in common. Now, what, what could that goal be? Well, for the world of sports, it would be to win a championship, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what we all in it for. We try to win the chip, you know, and after that, go home to our families and, and you know, call it a day. Uh, maybe in the regular workforce, uh, the goal is like, hey, like we can put our differences aside to get the job done, the task that's at hand and collect our checks, you know, at the end of our week or two week period or month period or whatnot, you know, and that's kind of how it is. So it's kind of a, a humbling understanding of what the mutual goal is. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Some people may be inspired by or motivated by different things. But I find that most times in these situations, a lot of everyone's goals align or pretty similar, you know. But OK, well, I'm not going to spend too much on that. You know, hey, if you work with your anime before, if you got a really special story that you would like to share, please feel free to put that in the comments. And, uh, you know, I, I like to check out some of your your stories. <laughs> Okay. All right. We move. We move on to our next anime for discussion. And that is. Zom 100 Bucket List of the Dead, Episode 8, titled Sushi in Hot Springs of the Dead. Now, um, 
uh, or, uh, <laughs> this, this title does not go together to me. I mean, I don't know. The times that I've been to Japan, I've never heard put in the same sentence, like, hey, let's go grab some sushi and go to the hot springs. Like, I never heard that before. It's usually separate, <laughs> usually separate experiences that you go do. But uh, but yeah, in this episode of Zom 100, uh, in efforts to reach his hometown to check on his parents, Akita, alongside with Kinichiro and Shizuka, uh, they end up going on their travels uh, and they run into a person dressed in a samurai suit which happens to be a foreigner who loves Japanese culture named Beatrix Ammerheiser. Ammerheiser. I don't know. I, I can't Germanize that. I'm, I'm terrible. I'm sorry. But uh, Beatrix asks Akita and the crew for assistance in delivering a truck full of fresh fish with the possibility that the last chef left in Japan would be available to create a dish she was very much looking forward to tasting, which is, you guessed it, sushi. <laughs> and so she put her life on the line to save this fish truck, you know, because she wanted to deliver it to this uh, chef that could create sushi. I mean, who does that? <laughs> I mean, this is just such a wild anime, but, you know, it begs the question, what is your favorite type of sushi? What is it? What could it be? You know, let me know. Now, of course, we have to break this down just a little bit and talk about what is sushi. Now, for some of you out there, especially if you are foodies like myself, then you absolutely know what sushi is already. But if you don't, I'll tell you. So sushi is a Japanese dish of prepared vinegar rice, usually with some sugar and salt, accompanied by a variety of ingredients such as seafood, which is often raw, and vegetables. Now, there are styles of sushi and its presentation very widely. So whenever you're looking at sushi, you pretty much can know that not every sushi is going to look the same, especially if they're different types, right? Um, but there is one key ingredient in sushi, and that is the sushi rice, which is also referred to as shari or sumeshi. Now, the creator of modern sushi is believed to be Hanaya Yohei, who invented nagiri sushi a type of sushi most known today in which seafood is placed on hand-pressed vinegar rice, which was around 1824 in the Edo period between 1603 to 1867. Now, this was considered a fast food during the Chonin class in the Edo period. So this was a, a very quick food, a, a finger food, uh, that's what I would call it. I would call it a finger food more so than a, a fast food. But I guess you could look at it that way of like, hey, if we're going into a shop or stopping by someplace to get something quick to eat, especially if we're a class of warriors or something like that, we need something quick that we can eat and that won't be as messy and we can eat it very fast. Right. Um, so I went to uh, I brought up some more information on the different types 
of sushi from masterclass.com. And I mean, there are several different types. We're going to talk about, I'm going to say up to about 10 different types. And so the first one that's on our list is Nagiri Sushi. Now, nagiri is a type of sushi consisting of an oblong ball of sushi rice, typically topped with wasabi and a slice of raw fish. Now, I I, I want to say that this is probably my favorite sushi type, but we'll we'll continue. Uh, and I'll tell you why I think this is my favorite type. So, nagiri, which is popular in Tokyo, can also include raw fish. Cooked shrimp, which is also called ebi, squid, which is ika, and eel, which is called unagi in Japanese. And man, I got to tell you, the unagi bowl that I've had in Japan was fantastic. And so was the nagiri, too, that I had. So, um, yeah, I, I, I want to say this might have been, this might be my favorite type, but we'll continue. <laughs> so then next you have maki sushi. Maki refers to sushi rolls with seafood, veggies, sushi rice, and other accompany, uh, others that accompany it of homemade sushi rolls by changing the ingredients inside. So Whatever's inside of this sushi is what kind of makes it a little bit different. And so you can have something like cream cheese, smoked salmon, bell pepper, and crispy shrimp tempura. Um, you can also add something like sesame seeds, sesame oil, sriracha, flying fish roe, which if I can remember, like the roe is like the, the fish eggs, I think. Uh, or spicy mayo on top of the sushi roll. Maki sushi is a popular item that's usually in the bento style lunch boxes. So yeah, I think, um, and I kind of feel like we see maki sushi in a lot of a variety of different places, um, you know, in your stores. Uh, but I don't think it's as popular as the next one that we'll talk about here coming up shortly. So uh, number three, we have tamaki rolls. So tamaki, which translates to hand rolled, is a type of sushi consistent of rice, fish, vegetables, and other fillings that are enclosed in a nori cone. So it's a cone, a cone. Um, so the nori, which I believe is like the uh, seaweed wrap, but I could be wrong about that. Um, you can make specialized rolls such as a spicy tuna roll or a salmon roll. Uh, sushi chefs also cut veggies into very thin strips as a garnish for the hand roll. So that's what you're going to get whenever you look at the tamaki rolls. Uh, next, you have fotomaki or futomaki. So futomaki, which translates to fat rolled sushi. Uh, I would say uh, plump, <laughs> thick sushi <laughs> is a large maki roll type. So very similar to the maki type. Um, uh, futomaki is so popular that futomaki and maki are sometimes used interchangeably. So you might often see them described the same. Uh, futomaki traditionally refers to a sushi roll containing seasoned rice in multiple fillings, and which makes a lot of sense because with it being a very like large or oversized maki roll, you're able to fill it up with more stuff, right? So 
It makes sense. Uh, now, after rolling the sushi with a bamboo mat, slice the futomaki crosswise into rounds with a sharp knife and serve with soy sauce, wasabi, and ginger. Mmm. Delicious. <laughs> it sounds good. I'm hungry. <laughs> All right, next we have hosomaki. Now, hosomaki means thin rolls. So we went from a very plump Fudomaki to the hosomaki, uh, which is very thin. And this type of maki roll is thinner than a fudomaki roll. Um, now, uh, they say that they use like a half sheet of nori, which is, is the dried seaweed. So I was correct about that. Uh, and while rolling it on a half size bamboo mat so that it's more slender than a typical maki roll. Uh, it usually contains seasoned rice and only one or two fillings. So for those of you out there that want something that's more of an appetizer uh, and not, maybe not as filling, uh, maybe you just need something that more of a small snack, uh, I think your maki is probably going to be what something that you like uh, that's more enjoyable for you. Uh, next, we have the chirashi. Uh, which translates to scattered in Japanese. So the chirashi sushi, also called chirashi sushi, is a seasoned sushi rice topped with raw fish, omelets, or tamago, and nori. In Japan, chirashi sushi typically served in a bowl or a, uh, a box, uh, which is traditionally eaten for the annual celebration of Hinamatsuru, or Girls' Day, which that, I'm actually new to that. I did not know uh, about this sushi type, so that's interesting. I don't. I'm kind of interested if I had this before or not. I mean, the fact that this counts with omelets makes me feel like I've had at least a version of it before. And I think it might be the type that you see in a lot of anime too. I could be wrong. Okay, next we have uh, Inari Sushi. Now, Inari Sushi is also known as Inari Sushi. is a Japanese dish consisting of sushi rice stuffed inside of fried tofu or tofu, <laughs> tofu, <laughs> fried to uh, tofu pouches, uh, also known as abugari, aburagi, or fried bean curd cooked in a dashi broth Ford mixture. Now, here's the thing. It being cooked in a dashi broth sounds really, really good. But the part where you kind of got me, where you said fried bean curd uh, or tofu pouch, uh, I don't know. Okay, I, I'm not feeling that. I am not feeling that. Because it feels like the outside texture might not be something that will be pleasing to my tongue. So I don't know if I can get in, in the Inari sushi, but... There's that. <laughs> okay, next we have the Oshizushi, uh, which is also uh, named Press Sushi, is a typical sushi style in the Osaka region of Japan. And I've definitely had this type of sushi because I've ate a lot of different foods in Osaka. And let me tell you, Osaka, Osaka is probably my favorite region in Japan, at least one of my favorite regions, because there's so much to do. And it's a little bit like, I would say to maybe Japanese citizens, it's kind of like uh, a popular place that you could go, region that you could go. But as far as foreigners go, I don't know that we really look at it 
in that light. Because usually, okay, you know, of course, your, your Tokyo is probably first on your list, right? Um, but Osaka has a lot to offer that I, I really enjoy. And um, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff there, too, that a lot of people are not aware of uh, from public consumption, I'd say. <laughs> um, but okay, so we have our Oshizushi, uh, which is made by pressing layers of rice and sushi toppings in a rectangular box or mold, then cutting the sushi into individual squares or rectangles that resemble small rice sandwiches. Hmm, sandwich. <laughs> I want one. Uh, so it's also got salmon and mackerel or saba are, are the popular fish that are used in pressed sushi which are typically served in bento boxes and given as gifts. So, I mean, I've, I've had so much sushi that had salmon or mackerel in it too. So it's, I, I'm pretty sure that I've had some Oshizushi before. Okay, next we have the uh, Uramaki. Now the Uramaki rolls are made with rice rolled on the exterior rather than the nori. So instead of the seafood wrap, you have the rice wrap. I guess you, you might as well, you could call it a rice wrap, <laughs> rice roll. <laughs> uh, so udomaki often contains more toppings and fillings than the maki sushi. Now, common types of udomaki rolls are the California roll, the spider roll, which contains soft shell crab, tempura roll, and dragon roll. Now, the rainbow roll, which is a popular sushi roll at sushi bars, is a California roll topped with layers of avocado and multiple fish of different colors, which creates that rainbow effect that you all know and love. And I would probably say this is the udomaki might be the most popular type that's in the Western side of things. So especially if you are in America, you probably have had you know, a couple of these different types. Uh, definitely the California roll and the tempura roll is two that come to mind that a lot of people tend to like. Uh, and then lastly, we have our gunkan maki. Uh, this is the type of sushi which is made by wrapping a sheet of nori or uh, seaweed um, around a ball of rice so that it creates a fenced-in area above the rice that you can stuff with toppings like sea urchin, which is called uni in Japanese, prawns, which is amaibi, or amaibi, uh, salmon roe, ikura, and scallop, which is hotate, or hotate, yes. Um, now, I've had this type of sushi before, uh, specifically with the sea urchin, and... Look, if you like a mushy, um, I don't know, uh, pudding-like textures, then you probably will like the sea urchin. Um, the flavor was, uh, ugh, it left a lot to be desired. <laughs> so I would say gun cutting maki is probably my least favorite type. Uh, I mean, it's a very acquired taste, and I, I can see that, if you have like a specific palette that this could possibly be one of your favorite types. Um, but for me, uh, it's a no. 
<laughs> okay, well, hey, that is your different types of sushi. You know, please let me know what your favorite types are down in the comments below. And, you know, if you if not, you know, if you learn something, you know, I hope that you uh, like that little segment. Okay, we move on to our next anime for discussion. And that is... Season two of Mushoku Tensei, Jobless Reincarnation, episode 12, titled, I Want to Tell You. Now, in this episode of Jobless Reincarnation, after revealing her true self to Rudis, Selfie begins to ready herself a as a romantic encounter. However, Rudis is not quite capable of taking things a step further. Now I need y'all to read between the lines that I talk about this because it's, 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 I'm trying to say something without saying something, if you know what I mean. <laughs> well, in efforts to help Rudis, uh, Sophie turns to Princess Ariel Asuda and Luke Greyrat for help. As a result of this, they both provide Sophie with advice. However, it's Luke's magic potion called an aphrodisiac that appears to turn things around for our mage couple. Now, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure that all of us know that um, we're talking about a, an aphrodisiac potion. Uh, it can only mean one thing, right? <laughs> but yeah, getting romance advice from friends, uh, as you can see, our Sylphie turns to um, Ariel and Luke for advice. And so I, I kind of want to have a short, a very brief conversation about this. You know, what, what type of romance advice could you get from your friends? Now, first of all, I would say if you are going to get romance advice, first you need to make sure are your friends qualified to give said advice? Because look, I mean, it's visual, right? <laughs> I mean, you, you should be able to tell based off of their own personal encounters for the most part. So if their love life isn't booming <laughs> or seemingly they don't have people coming back for more, then they probably are not the best tipsters for you, right? Um, now, here's the thing, though. If you do talk to somebody and one of your friends gives you advice, the first thing I will say is you cannot get upset if your friend says, you're the problem. <laughs> I mean, no, seriously, seriously. If they say that you're the problem, I mean, there could be a lot of reasons for that. They may say, I mean, you probably heard this before, or maybe you haven't because you got it like that. <laughs> well, you might hear the saying, um, you're not doing enough. Now you can be doing much more, right? Uh, or maybe you have to learn more about your partner because that could be the deficit right there is that you haven't done enough with your partner or learn enough about your partner. And sometimes it could be that the part, your partner doesn't even know enough about themselves. And so having that time together for some adventuring uh, to figure out kind of your, your own buttons, your, your, I think that um, is something that could be very helpful. Uh, another thing your friend might tell you is, hey, you need to challenge yourself, you know, because you're the problem. There's more things that you should be doing. You know, maybe you need to go beautify yourself some more, you know, maybe get with some some folks to 
uh, change your appearance a little bit that could possibly entice somebody with your sexual wiles. You know, that could be something that's on the table. Uh, and then lastly, uh, maybe you need to try new things. You know, sometimes you just need to spice things up and you could just be plain old boring. <laughs> I mean, nobody wants to be told directly that they're boring, but at the same time, I would like to think that if your partner has a lot of love for you, but there's just some things that y'all need to kick up a little bit and you know, take it to the next level, um, you know, trying new things might not necessarily be a bad idea. Uh, and then, well, I will add one more thing to this. Uh, lastly, I'll say that, and I think this is probably the most important thing that you'll want to consider is listen to what your partner is asking for, you know, and whatever they're asking for, maybe it's something that you both can compromise on, um, you know, try some things back and forth and see how things go. Now, I will say this, though. Just because you listen to your partner and you try to compromise things, some things, that doesn't mean that you can't have your own personal standards uh, in some areas where you might draw the line at, right? Because there's some things that, hey, just for my own sake and what I feel is, I guess, unethical, <laughs> uh, I'm not willing to do this. Now, one thing I will say is, I don't think the excuse of I'm not willing to do this because let's say my friend said that it's not fun or it don't feel good. It's like, I don't know if that's necessarily something that's good enough. You know, I would, I would kind of go as far as to say that if you never tried it at least once, then you should at least be able to try it at least once with your partner. But I wouldn't, I would also say that if it crosses a serious do not touch type of boundary, then don't be willing to do that, you know? And, you know, it could, and now here's the thing, this could be a deal breaker. You know, what you're not willing to do might be a deal breaker for your partner. And if that's the case, I think you, you got to make peace with it and say, I understand and go our separate ways because I'm, that's something that I'm not willing to do with my partner. And I think that's fine. Now, it, it may suck and it might be a bad thing as far as the totality of a relationship. But at the end of the day, if y'all are both not equally yoked and on the same page, then it's possibly best for y'all to go y'all separate ways anyways, right? But that's just my thoughts on the matter. But hey, you know, I am not a professional counselor, love doctor, anything like that. If you need advice in that department, please go seek some, um, a professional. And uh, all I have here is my two cents in butter. <laughs> all right. Well, so with that being said, we are going to go ahead and get into our next anime for discussion. And that anime is... The Great Cleric, episode 12, titled S-Rank Healer in Exorcist Lucille's Declaration. And I really love this title because it is really uh, parallel to what happened within this episode. It speaks volumes. But in this episode of The Great Cleric, Lucille defeats the 50th dungeon level. And after returning back to the surface to report his findings to the church, the Pope letter schedules a celebration for Lucio about his efforts. And then she pretty much went out to the, all of her um, 
uh, underlings, I guess you could say, all of the people that work underneath her. And she decreed Lucille an S-rank healer and capable of making any of his own rules and decisions while only answering to her as the Pope. And she pretty much deemed him the rank of a bishop. And so, look, I don't, I mean, if we're being honest, when it comes down to like Roman, Catholic, or just church, I don't know like the ranks of where that falls at, where a bishop falls at underneath the Pope. But I have to believe that this is probably very close to what happens within the Roman Catholic Church, that a bishop is probably right underneath the Pope. That's what it feels that way. So I don't know that that to be true, but that would be my guess. Uh, but yeah, you know, so he gets decreed to be a bishop and able to make his own rules and pretty much do his own thing uh, unless the Pope tells him to do otherwise. And so he pretty much became a young supervisor. And so I want to talk about that, like becoming a young supervisor. Now, I'm not going to spend that much time on this, but I think this is a very uh, worthy conversation, especially in today's modern times, um, because I feel like when you are a young supervisor, you have a lot of things that you kind of go up against that are kind of unspoken truths. And so the first thing that I would think about is um, when you become a supervisor at a very young age, you're going to have several people that are looking at you and they're going to be feeling overlooked. Like you stepped over them and think about this. Let's say that you've only been with the company for two years, right? And maybe you're the age of 24. Let's say you're 24 years old and you have somebody that is 32 and they've been with the company for about 10 years and they've tried to apply for the same position, but they didn't get it. And here you are brand spanking new kid for the most part in terms of years. <laughs> <laughs> and you already are on the path to high success. You know, you you pretty much etched six years ahead of, well, eight years ahead of them, right? And so um, that's going to leave some people feeling a certain way, right? And so if you've invested that many years in a company and someone younger is pretty much accepted into management uh, before you, that's going to increase the dysfunction within a company, most likely. Now, you got some um, older folks within the company that will take it more in stride and say, okay, you know what? It's just not my time yet. You know, I just need to, you know, work on some other things with myself and apply again, and maybe I'll get accepted. Uh, and sometimes, I mean, from my own personal experience, a lot of times when um, people that have been with the company for a long time get overlooked, it's because there's one or two things about them or maybe more things about them to where they feel like they're not good candidates for being a supervisor. And so I think in most recent times, an example I can remember is there's someone that's been with our, with the agency I worked for that was there for probably like 15 years and they're very super knowledgeable um, you know, just very, very good at their job. However, when it comes down to dealing with people and how you treat them, how you talk with them and, and things of that nature, they are a very bad communicator. And that's not someone that you want to probably put uh, in a function where they reside over a bunch of other team members. And when they're trying to set expectations and stuff like that, 
it's just not a really good look. And so you got to take it from a managerial standpoint of, you know, do you play it safe and go with somebody else? Or do you take the risk of gambling on someone that you know this is their this is their personality? This is their way of how they treat other people. And I would say that a lot of people in higher positions don't want to take that risk with someone that could shake up uh, pretty much a branch of a company and that could end up, you know, possibly having a lot of people step down, leaving a company, whatever. And so, yeah, so that that's a kind of an example of what I think could happen um, to somebody that's been with the agency a long time and got looked over by somebody that became a young supervisor. Um, but what else? What else could be a reason why uh, becoming a young supervisor could be a bad thing? I mean, on a from a good perspective, being a young supervisor is a great thing because if you're looking for upwards mobility within a, a company, uh, if you've already become came into management, it only took you maybe one or two years to get there. I mean, you could possibly be looking at executive positioning, depending if you put your your best foot forward. And I, I think the I think the caveat with all this is you have to make management aware that that's what you're trying to do. If, because if they don't know that that's something that you're you're looking towards. And they can't kind of help set you on a path. Well, that's another side of it, too. They have to also be willing to kind of help you set set you on a path to get to a higher position as well. So it's a twofold thing. You know, it's it's a two way street. It works both ways. Um, but I, I definitely would say that, you know, you yourself has to kind of put that in the air and make it known that this is something that you're looking forward to. But OK. We move on to our next anime for discussion, and that is Rudoni Kenshin, the 2023 version, of course, (laughs) Uh, episode 12 titled Okashida Aoshi Shinomori. Now, say that five times fast. (laughs) I don't know, for some reason, I like just saying things fast. But I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to try to, but I, I like the concept of it. So in this episode of Kenshin, uh, Kenshin begins his bout with Aoshi Shinomori, who turns out to be a very powerful foe. However, after being bested by Kenshin, both fighters give it their all and were, you know, pretty much out of energy. I mean, that they, they it was a really tough bout that they had with each other. And so this ended up putting can you the ruthless wealthy drug dealer in a position where he was able to take advantage of the situation and so he brings in this huge gatling gun um to which one of his men of or i should say one of aoshi's men and trusted men at that threw his body in front of him to save his life as can you starts firing off this gatling gun and so for those of you that are watching the stream uh, you can see the Gatling gun going off and one of his men getting in front of him to protect his life. And so I want to talk for, about this very shortly, but protecting someone you love, protecting someone you love. Now, this is a theme that I've kind of covered before and a couple other um, anime episodes and topics. Uh, but it's something that I feel like is very important to kind of um, put out there. Now, personally, I don't think that many 
would actually put themselves on the line to protect someone that they love. And I don't know why I'm so jaded like that. I don't know why I feel that way, but I don't know. It just seems like it takes so much effort to do something that could possibly hurt you in the end. And I think a lot more people are out for themselves uh, and not to say that they don't care about somebody else, but they don't want the consequences that could potentially harm them uh, to where they may not even exist on this planet anymore. And so, um, you know, but once again, it's not a not because death is something that many of us, um, you know, should be afraid of. And I, you know, I, I won't pretend that it's something that all of us are definitely willing to, to do, but I do want to recognize the courageous that are strong enough to do something that this is dishonorable, uh, because there are many that have come before us that have put their lives on the line in so many different scenarios. And I, I really do think it's, you know, take a moment of reflection to give thanks to some of the unknown warriors, uh, that came before us. And so I, I think the biggest thing of why like that, that comes from uh, this topic is I saw a video on TikTok not too long ago, and it was a man that was conducting an experiment uh, acting as a blind person. And so uh, his experiment was he was walking down a flight of stairs and he was trying to see how many people would provide him with assistance as he was going down these stairs. Now, Kepi, you know, I don't know if, if Kepi's still in the chat. This might be a video that you shared with me, or it might have been just a random one that came up in my in my timeline. But this video, like it sent it sent shocks throughout my body because I could not believe how people treated this person. Uh, even though they were acting as that they were blind, it really makes you. It makes me feel a certain way knowing that if it was a real blind person, how people would have treated them. And I've had experiences working with family members or friends that were blind and um, having to provide them with assistance. And for me, uh, it's for one, I think it's the right thing to do. But also, you know, knowing that that person, you know, you're putting them in a position where they might not be harmed. Uh, and you can safely assure or assure their safety. And at least in that moment makes me feel good, you know, and I can't imagine pushing someone away because they touch me or something like that. And, it's, you know, now, mind you, like, don't get me wrong. I can I can't understand like unwarranted physical touch or something like that. Right. I can get that. But if you recognize that a person has a disability and you're not willing to provide aid, man, that kind of sucks. You know, I, I just, I just don't, I just frown upon that. I just don't like that. I really feel like if you're able to give help, you you should, but here's the thing, you know, if you have um, something very, very important to do, where maybe you have a job interview and helping a person, you know, it's going to take maybe five to 10 minutes to help them all, you know, all the way through, then I can see you maybe not making that commitment. But I, I mean, for me, I mean, maybe it's just the way that I'm built. I would still help that person. And I would go to that interview and I'll be like, look, you might not believe me and that's okay, 
but I was assisting somebody that had a disability and I, you know, for the life of me, I could not see myself turning them down and not helping. And I feel like that'll make you look better amongst the company, even if they're not willing to take the risk because they might feel like you're lying. I would still put myself out there. And if I lost that job, oh, well, so be it, you know, and that's just what it is. But okay. But we move on to our next anime for discussion. And that is season two of Bleach's Thousand Year Blood War, episode 24, titled Too Early to Win, Too Late to Know. Man, yo, <laughs> Bleach is just so good. I mean, this, this episode was a straight up banger. I mean, all the episodes for this season have been just amazing but this episode was just so good but in this episode of bleach um Yawak and company make their way to the soul king's palace in efforts to remove and destroy him and so the whole plan is like okay the soul king he holds the balance of uh the earth world the shit the shinigami uh, soul society world world in waco mundo uh which is where the arankar and a lot of other uh, uh, creatures, re, uh, re, I should say, live at. And um, however, the Royal Guard or the Zero Division show up consisting of uh, Tenjiro Kiriniji, Kirio Hikifune, Shinjumuru Shutada, and Oetsu Namaya. Now, Oetsu came in with his rhythm He's rhyming like, oh, one, two, three, four. <laughs> oh, that's on the scene. Let's go. <laughs> you know, in bright lights. And, you know, for those of y'all are watching the stream, y'all can kind of see him right now. Uh, I mean, he had the lights going. I mean, it was just a very, very powerful intro uh, as he's in front of these different Quincy's. And it made me think about characters arriving with intros. Like, how do you feel about them? Now, at one point, I can say that sometimes intros can be very annoying because it almost feels like time fillers. Like as I'm watching anime, like, OK, we only got 20, about 23 minutes here. Well, it's really more like 19 minutes when you think about like the opening music, the closing music and all that. <laughs> but for the most part, when, you know, I, I feel like most intros are like overdone. And it's wasting time. And it's like, no, get back to the action. Get back to the anime goodness. Like, I don't want to see that. But there are some times where intros are so good that they're worth watching and getting a good laugh at or jamming with it or whatever the case may be. And I feel like uh, Onetsu is definitely one of them. Another character that comes to mind is Killer B, uh, who is one of the... Um, uh, Tail Beast uh, users in Naruto. Uh, I think his intros were really, really fun to watch. But it seems like those rapidy black characters happen to be the ones that have these like rhythm, bright light spots, right? Now, don't get me wrong. There's other, of course, there's many, many other intros that I think are really good. Um, what another one that comes to mind? It's usually always as somebody that's very flamboyant too. That's another thing I noticed with intros. Like if they're very super flamboyant, uh, apparently they might be uh, bisexual or uh, 
uh, pansexual or gay or whatever the case may be, I felt like those characters tend to also um, be the ones that have these over the top naming conventions and stuff like that too. So, um, but I don't know. It's, it's all in good fun. I think that most intros can be pretty, pretty cool, but I'm not going to lie. They're just, there's definitely a, a handful of them were like, okay, can we just get over this now? <laughs> can we please move on? <laughs> like our next anime discussion. Hey, look at that. <laughs> look at that. You, you spoken into existence, Jay. <laughs> all right. Moving on to our next anime topic. And that is season two of Jujutsu Kaisen, episode 33, titled Shibuya Incident, Gate Open. Now, in this episode, Satoru Kojo is apparently baited into the Shibuya subway station and surrounded by several humans that he's hoping to rescue from the hands of Saguru Geto. Now, pretty much Ghetto, like he, him and his uh, crew of cursed demons, they put this like veil over the Shibuya subway station area. And so it's pretty much entrapping all a whole bunch of humans or citizens within this bubble. And Saguru is pretty much, you know, hoping that they can bait Gojo uh, into their plans. And so Gojo, as powerful as he is, you know, he's like, dang, like, man, I'm in a position where I got to save these humans, but I also have to deal with these cursed demons that are also attacking and killing some of these, you know, some of these citizens as well. What do I do? And so them thinking or, or rather ghetto putting it in these cursed demons ears that, you know, he's going to pretty much work a certain way. They're like, uh Okay, Gojo, because he's surrounded by these humans, this is absolutely like how he's going to function. And this is all a part of his plans. But little did they know that Gojo was very unpredictable. <laughs> and he absolutely did the opposite of what Ghetto thought his plans were going to be. And I mean, to Ghetto's, I'll say point, it actually worked to his advantage um, but he kind of, I would say he lied. <laughs> I would say he lied and he got, he was able to get away with something, but that's, that's a whole nother story. But, but yeah, I want to speak about the, the benefits of being unpredictable. Uh, and for the most part, because I feel that way, um, a lot of people that know me will tell you that I'm somewhat of an unpredictable person, even though I'm a very, uh, plan ahead person. I also like being very spontaneous too. And um, I never, a lot of times I don't necessarily know what I'm going to say, what I'm going to do. And I enjoy that. Like, I like it that way. And so the first thing I will say about the benefits of being unpredictable is you keep people on their toes. <laughs> I mean, think about it. If somebody doesn't know exactly how you're going to react because they know that you're so unpredictable, they, they you they keep you at bay and not at bay in the sense of they don't want to be around you but necessarily like we don't know what he's going to say or what she's going to do and so we just got to find out when it happens right and i think that that's kind of cool that people treat you accordingly uh and accept you as you are and knowing that they're not sure what they're going to get what version of of you they're going to get today um now of course that could be a downside to that because a lot of us they want we want stability 
We want to know that this is what's to be expected in our routine on a daily. Uh, but man, there's just some people where that they add spice to your life. <laughs> they add spice to your life. I mean, you know that person that's on your phone that you can call up and they're the life of the party. And I like to think that a lot of people that are unpredictable tend to be the life of the party because you don't necessarily know what to expect. What you do know that they're going to bring is energy. You know they're going to bring that. And I would say usually good energy, but there are some times where unpredictable people bring that bad energy. And those are the ones that I would say, keep your tail at home. But hey, there are some people out there that they like to bring that bad energy because it's entertaining to them, right? Um, What else did I feel like is a benefit of being unpredictable? Um, hmm. I think... When you're unpredictable, I mean, I'm giving this a little bit more thought. Bear with me now. I mean, yes, you do keep people on their toes, but at the same time, it's also a frightening thing too. You know, it's and maybe frightening is not the word, but maybe garner a, some type of respect because they know that you're you're going to come. A different way each and every time but it, they can also know that you mean good if you mean good mostly i would say but if you mean bad then once again keep your tail at home <laughs> all right well i'm not gonna beat that topic to death i mean i just wanted to talk about a couple things about being unpredictable because i think that it can be fun there are some downsides to being unpredictable but i do think that there are some benefits in the case of gojo i mean like i said it worked out at his advantage uh ghetto had a plan it worked against him and he was able to destroy a bunch of humans some special grade demons cursed demons while he was at it because they they chose wrong <laughs> and that's kind of what it goes down to right but okay well hey that is it um, for those of you that are listening, uh, you know, when it comes down to our platforms, wherever you get your podcast from, uh, that is the end of today's episode. Greatly appreciate y'all for rocking with us this summer 2023 season. Uh, we will be back in a couple weeks for the fall 2023 season. So we won't be gone very long. Uh, just to kind of give y'all some, some, um, kind of future plans of what I'm thinking of working on or bringing to the podcast in the future. So normally, you know, in the past, we've had these weeks of dead space where I don't record any podcast episodes until we come back for the next anime season. Uh, I had some plans of things I wanted to introduce for the first time, you know, after this season, but because of timing and a lot of things going on, uh, outside of this project that I'm working on, I could not do that. But I will say for the future, uh, we should be having ongoing episodes each and every week. Uh, and it's going to be it's going to be different speaking head piece. I'll put it that way. And so we'll be having conversations still in the future, but they're going to be. I would say more focused. So look forward to anime. Look look forward to podcast episodes. Um, once we complete season, that might be focused on maybe one topic or two topics, and we'll kind of explore those different areas. Um, another thing that I'm looking forward to doing is putting out 
uh, content that's more exclusive for YouTube, but I'll share some of those uh, conversations about those pieces on the pod as well. And so I'll definitely keep y'all abreast when we get ready to drop that content. Uh, but hey, that's all that I have. Once again, hey, if you are a new listener, please be sure to check out the links below in the description as you can find more dope bingo book podcast content on DSPs wherever you, get, you listen to your podcast at. And also, if you are on our YouTube, Twitch and Facebook page, um, you know, feel free to look at our content there. Also, if you are on Discord, Feel free to join us on Jay's Crib. That is my hangout spot where you can get your notifications whenever I go live or, you know, just share some information as far as uh, what I got going on on my weekly events. And not only that, but we'd love to have you a part of our community as we're getting closer and closer to our goal of 50 people. 